Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I probably should have looked up if her, na- if her name was <laughs> Louis or Louise. Okay, I'm going to go with Louis. Nope. Final answer? You are dying over there. <laughs> it's going to be whatever I just said. That's what I'm okay. editing it. Does it have an E on it or not? It does. Then it's Louise. So it's Louise. <laughs> is it a girl or a boy? What the fuck? Counting and spelling is not my strong point. beautiful how goes it it goes how goes it for you it goes happy tuesday happy tuesday also happy twinning tuesday because we are wearing the same shirt today do you know why we're wearing the same shirt today Allie? i don't even want to fucking ask you this question (laughs) because we have telepathy and i just wanted you to know that dear listeners could you hear that eye roll because (laughs) they're all the way in the back of my head at this point so she made a bitchy comment right before we clapped for this episode, so I had to give it to her. <laughs> By the way, you so kindly said my name, so the person on the other end of this audio is Celeste. Dear listeners, if you're new here, welcome. Hey, hi, I'm me, Celeste. Nice to meet you. And together, we're Taboos, a podcast that discusses taboo culture, often with swearing. Oh, always with swearing. What am I even saying? And drinks in hand. I don't fucking know. What are you saying? (laughs) How was your day? It was really good. It was really busy. Um, You know, I really recognize I always say that my day is really busy and that I get a lot done. And I really was recognizing and sitting with that. And I was just curious, like, if there's ever a time that I don't say that. But then I really thought about it and I really do get a lot of shit done Especially on Tuesdays. Tuesdays are really like my reporting day where I pull a bunch of stuff. So I just, I don't know, today was good and productive. I went to the gym and I got Panera. And the weirdest part about Panera was that I didn't get a baguette, which I've never not gotten a baguette. Even when I specifically asked for no baguette, I have still gotten a baguette. I'm just really upset about it. And I wanted it today. I apologize for the loss of your baguette. I really appreciate that. I can tell that was a heartfelt moment for you. Thank you. Yes. How was your day today, my dearest darling, love of my life? It was good. It was also super busy, but honestly, there's something I wanted to tell you about specifically. Oh, okay. I'm ready. Because it's so cute and I wish I could record it, but once I turn the camera on, it would never happen. So Moose really likes the song Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Yeah. Okay. And I used to sing it with my mom all the time when I was little too. So it kind of has special meaning to me. 
But it's so cute because I'll sing it to him at night while he's in his crib, and he turns to me while I'm singing and goes, I'm happy. Oh, my baby. It's just so cute. And then he does like the the humming part, super out of tune, but he tries so hard. (laughs) So yeah, that was my share. I love that share. That makes me so happy, and I love him so much, and kiss on his little sweet face for me, and I miss him. Will do. Do you know what today is, Allie? Today as in the day that this episode is releasing. I do, but for our listeners' sake, let's act like I don't. (laughs) Dear listeners, for your sake, we're going to act like she doesn't. Today is Infertility Awareness Day. Did you know this? You said you did. This is me now not knowing what to do, so I'm avoiding a double dip and instead just ranting. Please save me. Saving you right now. (laughs) In honor of it being Infertility Day, that's what this episode is about. And for this episode, we have a super special guest. The most special of guests. That we are super, I apparently have no other words than super, very excited (laughs) to bring on. I'm fucking elated, bro. Ooh, elated's a good one. That's how I feel. So we are going to go ahead and call her right now. Bring, bring. Ooh, see, I even got the tongue roll. Nice. Hey there, special guest. Yes, that face is exactly what happens every time Celeste hits the level that only dogs can hear. It's not that bad, you guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you, thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you. Ooh, I can't wait for you to be here! Yes, yes, this is going to be magic. I can't wait. Celeste, I feel like I've introduced our last couple guests, so do you want to take this one? Um, I would love to. I would be honored, thrilled, actually. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Today, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is none other than my very favoritest, most incredible leader I've ever had in my whole life, Miss Holly. She is the brain to my pinky, and I assure you, I would probably be homeless without her. (laughs) Just because I would, like, amount to nothing. That, I think, is real. So I just really recognize how excited I am that you're here and how grateful I am for you. And honestly, I just love you so fucking much. It's not even funny. And here you are on our show. And I just can't wait. This is such a cool experience for me. Well, thank you for having me. This is definitely a, a topic near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate you asking me. Absolutely. And we could not have done this episode without you. It was super important to me that we did this with you. So I'm so honored that you're here. And thank you for taking the time to join us for this episode, because I really think that you are going to bring something so special to it. And I love your story. And I think it's so beautiful. And I love your children. And they're so beautiful. And I'm just really excited for us to talk about this entire spectrum because it means something to people and it's just sort of this thing that I feel like we're not really supposed to talk about or it's really hard to talk about and I want to sort of break that down. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. 
But it's all Allie because this is her episode. <laughs> I sort of sounded like I was taking it over. I didn't mean to. Also, look at you, Holly, just perfectly segueing us into like the next section. So you're on our show. I would love if you would tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're here. Uh, well, I'm Holly. I don't think there's really a lot special about me. I mean, that's that... a bold faced lie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So I, I just feel like kind of a normal person, except for the fact that um, I have triplets. Um, and that's pretty much all consuming in my life. In my former life, I was an actor. That's what my degree is in. Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. And uh, now I work in transportation. And other than that, pretty normal, normal human. I totally disagree with you because I have seen the shit that you can do and you're definitely bionic as fuck. So (laughs) I know that all of that was you being super modest, but you're definitely not human and you're definitely not average. So just everybody should know that before we go into this episode. I concur. That was a ton of modesty. (laughs) So Holly, I would also love if you could please tell our listeners why you're on this episode. Um, well, because a calendar event was added to my calendar. Accurate. Yeah. Real. That's the reason. No. Um, well, I heard that the episode was about infertility. And infertility is something that my husband and I struggled with for a lot of years. And um, honestly, it's something that I'm not afraid to talk about. Um because we went through quite a few things. I've had people approach me and ask me my story and it's just not something I'm ashamed of. Um, You know, I'm proud of what we went through. I'm proud of the struggles, how we got to the other side. So if my story or anything that uh, we encountered can help somebody else, I, I would love that. Thank you for all of that. Agreed. And just again, for being here like I love having you here because I love you but I also love having you here because I love that we get to share your story with our listeners because I really really mean it your story is one of my favorites oh so before we dive into it though I'd love to hear what everyone's drinking guess first um I am drinking a fruit loop fruit loop if you are not familiar is uh, Bacardi Limon and Diet Pepsi. And if you do not believe me, try it, smell (laughs) it, eat a bowl of Fruit Loops, and tell me that it is not a Fruit Loop. Can confirm. This combination, I I believe you because I believe you, but I'm also very suspicious right now. I was genuinely suspicious at first, too, and then she made me try it, and she's not lying. It is like drinking the milk from a bowl of Fruit Loops, which I want to caution all of your listeners, please do be careful and use a designated driver because after a while you will forget that you're not a seven-year-old drinking the milk out of the cereal bowl and that it does have alcohol content in it. That actually might be the best alcohol warning we've ever had on our show. You're welcome. I think that was the first alcohol warning we've ever had on our show. I think that's also true. (laughs) We're so responsible. Leave it to Holly to mom us all. Celeste, what are you drinking? I am drinking another Moore, 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 
I'm drinking another more brewing company beverage, and this is called Peaches and Cream Marbles. It Yum. is a milkshake style India pale ale with peach and vanilla. And do you want to see how cute this little fucking can is? Yes. Oh, uh, okay. That's actually kind of Tim Burton-ish. It is. He's like a little peach brain, but then he's like holding marbles and he's like oozing milkshake. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> is it good? It's fucking amazing. It is literally like a milkshake beer. It's so fucking good. Really, really, really good. What are you drinking over there, my love? I am drinking a beer by Barrel Brewing Company. It's an oatmeal stout, but the flavor is, or it's called, cookie dough spoon. Aww. Does it taste like a cookie dough spoon? Okay, so we know that my taste buds are completely fucked and not made for this kind of question. <laughs> um, it it's smells good. It smells it like smells. cookie dough. <laughs> yes, it's good. It is delicious. That is my two cents. I just want to show you both my cup. Oh, Golden Girls. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't seen that cup since we were last in the office. One year ago. It's even better than it's out of Rent's Red Solo Cup. Everybody needs a big Red Solo Cup. And it's like a thermos cup, too. It's not just the Red Solo Cup. That thing keeps shit cold. Yes. Double lined. So are you guys ready to dive into today's episode? I'm ready. I am ready. So we're going to start out with a content warning. This episode is about infertilities and the struggles of individuals facing it. Everyone's journey is unique, and we recognize that not all have the desired outcome. If you are struggling with infertility, please know that Celeste and I are sending love and light your way. Also, please know that we are not medical professionals, and you should always consult your doctor for any questions you may have. I agree completely, and I really appreciate your content warning. Thank you for having that in this episode. So I thought we could start this out with a definition of infertility. This is directly from womenshealth.gov. Infertility means not being able to get pregnant after one year of trying or six months if a woman is 35 or older. Women who can get pregnant but are unable to stay pregnant may also be infertile. I didn't realize that... Women who had issues staying pregnant could also be an infertility issue. I did not recognize that. Yep, and there's also secondary infertility, which is you have a child, but you're having trouble getting pregnant, trying for another child. And isn't it fair to say that, I'm really asking, but isn't it fair to say that infertility also applies to men as well? Yep, we're going to dive into that. Oh, okay. I love that you're bringing that up. Because secondary infertility is exactly what my story is. Oh, I didn't even know that. You didn't even know that, probably. I did not. We're going to learn so much here today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, as usual, we're starting out with some history. This portion is from theconversation.com and bustle.com. Bustle! Bustle, you're like in every other episode. If you want to sponsor us or something, feel free. Also, dear Bustle, just please know how much I love your name. It has no significance for me. I just really, really love saying Bustle. It makes me happy. You should sponsor us for that reason, though. Let's be real. 
So writings and stories of infertility can be found in a lot of ancient texts. One example is Abraham and his wife Sarah in the Bible, as well as their son and their grandson. In ancient Egyptian mythology, goddess and god Nephthys and Set were both infertile. I'd like to add there was actually a fertility god. Do you talk about him? Nope. May I also add that there was, in fact, a counterpart, which was the infertility god of Bess? In the saga of the Volsungs from Norse mythos, Rari's wife was infertile until Frigg convinced Odin to give her a magic apple. In a word that I'm about to absolutely butcher, the Mahabharata, which is a Sanskrit epic poem of ancient India, Pandu is unable to father children due to a curse. Damn curses. Damn curses. In Macbeth by Shakespeare, both of the Macbeths are infertile. And those are honestly just a few examples of infertility being mentioned throughout history and different cultures and mythologies. So I thought it was super interesting and I really appreciated that um, the Sanskrit story and the Shakespearean story or Shakespeare story, Macbeth, both had male infertility in it. Yeah, I think that's a really big deal and historically important, right? That we often see things that are very finger pointing in the direction of women and especially in this topic to know that there is representation of this affecting men and women equally i recognize as a really big deal you know there's a, a ton of infertility in um royalty lineage everywhere from uh russia to english i mean just you name it you know, from the Virgin Queen all the way through, there's there's a ton of infertility issues that still plague a lot of the royal families of Eastern Europe um, because of horrible inbreeding. But, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the male side. I also think it, it's of note and worth pointing out that so many years ago, men often blamed the women for infertility issues. And we forget, you know, men have a big part in well, men have the part in choosing the gender of the baby. So, um, and, you know, they're they are half of the equation and often can be the problem, so. Yep, I agree 100%. Absolutely. I just like that nowadays blame, well, we'll get there. Stay tuned. So all sorts of methods were tried to help induce pregnancy throughout these times. Pilgrimages, remedies containing sexual organs of animals, whacking you with dead animal skins, going to spa towns to ease nerves. Yeah, that was also my reaction to whacking with dead animal skins. I believe it was in Rome. That was like the holy windbreaker, but worse. Like that was holy windbreakers, but worse. Because dead animal skins. Oh, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, the face I'm making. One idiotic doctor suggested that it was psychosomatic and recommended adoption as a cure so that a woman fulfilled her need to be a mother in some way, therefore creating less pressure to fulfill that need. I just want to say a big fuck you to that guy. Super fuck you to that guy for sure. Although we're not downing adoption. I don't know if that's in this episode. If it's not, stay tuned for another episode. We are definitely going to revisit adoption. We are not anti-adoption. But fuck that guy for invalidating this experience for women as a fucking whole. Exactly. 
So in a lot of ancient cultures, infertility essentially diminished a woman's purpose in societal views. They were shunned and slandered. That makes me so fucking sad. And yet, so not shock. Eventually, around the Middle Ages, things became a little more equal-gendered as far as realizing that men could cause infertility too. However, women still carried the social burden. The Renaissance brought about medical studies showing that men's sperm would potentially be a problem. However, the list for women's problems was ginormous. One theory brought about in the 1800s was that any rough work done by women would cause issues to the uterus. Therefore, women had to be dainty and fragile. That's the definition of me right there. Dainty and fragile. I literally was just going to say, Holly, maybe that was your problem. <laughs> you were dainty or fragile. <laughs> I mean, how dare you? Number one, I am super dainty and super fragile. I love you, but no, you're bionic and you can take down buildings. I've seen you do it. So, no. I don't know if any of us fit dainty and fragile. Clearly, the 1800s was not a time meant for any of us. No. I feel like we all would have been burned at a stake somewhere. Fast forward to more current times and an actual understanding of reproductive health. I love understanding reproductive health. I think that was a tremendous expedition for humankind. I agree. Versus, like, our period episode where bloodletting was a thing. (laughs) So on that note, the first baby born by in vitro fertilization was Louise Brown in 1978. So what causes infertility? Overall, overage, overage. (laughs) (laughs) And hoo-hahs and funky ding-dongs. No? That's not it. Nope, that's part of it. (laughs) You're not wrong. Age, hormone issues, injury, and lifestyle. Also, there's more to it insofar as you could have been born with incorrect genitalia as far as like how things are connected and such. So that's a separate column that I didn't know how to put in there. We'll go with medical. Medical works. So from womenshealth.com, infertility in men is most often caused by a problem called varicosoli. This happens when the veins on a man's testes are too large. This heats the testicles and the heat can affect the number of or shape of the sperm. Other factors that can cause a man to make too few sperm or none at all. Movement of the sperm. This may be caused by the shape of the sperm. Sometimes injuries or other damage to the reproductive system block the sperm. Can we just acknowledge, whether it's a male or female body, the fact that the human body can really, like, regulate itself like that? That truly the size of the veins in a man's testicle have to be X percent large, or it could affect his sperm count like that's crazy because it it overheat just some veins like that's crazy to think about like that's just so cool that the human body can really be broken down to such intricate mechanics i think that's so fucking fascinating yeah i agree definitely so in women most cases of female infertility are caused by problems with ovulation without ovulation there are no eggs to be fertilized Some signs that a woman is not ovulating normally include irregular or absent menstrual periods. Ovulation problems are often caused by polycystic ovarian syndrome, aka PCOS, 
PCOS is a hormone imbalance problem which can interfere with normal ovulation. PCOS is the most common cause of female infertility. Primary ovarian insufficiency, POI, is another cause of ovulation problems. POI occurs when a woman's ovaries stop working normally before she is 40. POI is not, however, the same as early menopause. Less common causes of fertility problems in women include blocked fallopian tubes due to pelvic inflammatory disease, endometriosis, or surgery for an ectopic pregnancy, physical problems with the uterus, or uterine fibroids, which are non-cancerous clumps of tissue and muscle on the walls of the uterus. Holly, do you mind if I ask if any of those specific instances correlate to your story? Um, yes. In fact, my husband and I discovered in our infertility journey that it wasn't one of us. It was both of us, which was interesting because my husband was married prior to marrying me. Um, and he and his first wife actually got pregnant two weeks after they got married. So when, um, you know, we first got together and we decided we wanted to start trying to have a family. We absolutely thought it was my issue, but when we got further into the testing and, you know, really consulted some experts, we discovered it was both of us. So some of the things that you said did apply to both my husband and I. And honestly, from my research, that is insanely common. So, which I didn't know beforehand. And I have statistics on that. I wouldn't have known that either. I actually, while you were saying that, my first thought was, oh my God, I wonder if that's like really rare that both parties are directly contributing to the issue, right? I mean, that's a terrible way to look at it, but it is. I'm sorry if that was brash, but I really didn't recognize that that was as common as we are going to find out in these statistics. So that's really cool and really exciting. Yeah, I think, the, um, you know, maybe for your listeners, I guess, the the side of it that I found comforting, I guess, for somebody who was in it was it wasn't just my fault. Because for a very long time, and mm-hmm. my husband has said this to me, until somebody said that to us, that we were both contributing factors, there there is like a, a little bit of blame, Right. And it's not intentional and it's not, it, it doesn't come from a place of unlove usually, but there is blame there. And mm-hmm. whether it's self-blame or your spouse blaming you, that's hard. That's really hard to take. So it's almost freeing when a doctor says to you, it's not you, it's both of you. And, um, you know, if you can take any comfort in that, because I mean, infertility just sucks and sometimes you need little victories. And for me, in my personal story, that was a little victory that everything we were doing wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is society places the blame on women unintentionally because people aren't more educated about it. Yeah. And also because women are the ones who get pregnant, right? So when it's not happening, the first thing that people recognize is the woman isn't getting pregnant. So, like, sometimes that thought just stops there. And the other thing that I wanted to say that I really appreciate that you brought up, Holly, is the 
freeingness of knowing that it was both you and your partner equally in this experience, right? But also, you had said, like, it felt so good to know that it wasn't my fault. Infertility is nobody's fault. Like, I I just want to say that out loud for everyone to just hear someone say it's no one's fault. It's, It's not you or your partner. It just happens. It's a terribly unfortunate thing that happens as part of the human experience for all of the reasons that Allie has shared with us, and I'm sure a lot more reasons. But fault is never really a word that can be used when talking about infertility. Yeah. I gave a little talk to my church a couple of months back. They asked me to talk on my faith journey. And so I think this is actually a good time to kind of share with you what I shared with them. Because while I really, really appreciate your perspective on it, Celeste, if you haven't been in it and you haven't heard, like, it's it's very hard. If you haven't felt it, you truly haven't felt it. And I, I don't know your struggles, so I, I don't mean to speak for you. But if you don't mind, can I read what I read that day? Because I think sums it up absolutely definitely yeah please here's what I said to my church that day I told them my faith journey and then when I got to the part about our fertility struggles here's what I said there's two sides to infertility the side we show you the smiles the hopeful statements and the cross fingers at the doctor's office then there's the side that you don't see the struggle the struggle is part of the story I felt like I heard a whisper This isn't breaking you, it's building you. But it sure feels like it's breaking you. Infertility is a lot of things, but private isn't one of them. It's all day long triggers in your face, reminding you of everything you lack. It creeps into your personal and social life, like vines taking over a tree. You ask how I'm doing, I respond with, I'm okay, but like so many women, I'm shattered. For the most beautiful and natural thing a woman can offer is life. And I can't even get that right. These images sting, but they are the reality we experience hours before picking ourselves up off the floor and heading to school, work, or a social event. It feels hopeless and you're ready to throw in the towel because clinging onto this dream keeps feeling more and more out of grasp for you. You feel angry and embarrassed with yourself for those knots in your stomach When another friend announces their pregnancy, you know you're beyond happy for them. You're just incredibly sad that your journey has come to this bitter and isolating place. You know that pregnancy commercial didn't purposely play. Those strangers you just met didn't know you were struggling with infertility as they ask you if you'd like to take one of their wild kids home. Those friends and family members who tell you, you're young, you still have time. They truly are just trying to comfort you. They don't know it's the 20th time someone said that to you this year, nor could they possibly know the financial strain, unbearable moments of bravery that you hold intact every day. No, there's no comfort in infertility. That was really fucking beautiful. That was amazing. So I, I, I really truly don't mean to downplay, but that, if I could give you a picture, is what it feels like every day. I mean, most people put on one face for everybody. 
And you probably don't even know the amount of people who struggle with infertility in some way, shape or form. It could be people who already have kids. It could be people who don't, you know, it could be somebody whose life journey is already through kids and they never got to have them, you know, but those are, those were my feelings through the, the whole process. And your feelings are so valid and I genuinely appreciate you sharing them with us and our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. That was beautiful and heartbreaking and exactly what people need to hear. Honestly, the entire reason we asked you to be on this episode. Also, I have this noted for later, but this is one of the main reasons that I fucking hate when people ask, so when are you having a baby? After people get married. Fuck that. Or in general. Yeah, or in general, but... Ugh, okay. Anyways, so my next section is treatments. And this is directly from PlannedParenthood.com. Shout out to Planned Parenthood. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of misconceptions around Planned Parenthood, but that's probably for another episode. (laughs) I can't wait to do an episode on Planned Parenthood. Fertility treatments often include medications that help with hormones and ovulation, sometimes combined with minor surgical procedures. Assisted reproductive technology, ART, describes several kinds of procedures that can help you have a baby. ART includes procedures that make it easier for sperm to fertilize an egg and help the egg implant in your uterine lining. Two of the most common fertility treatments are intrauterine insemination, IUI, where healthy sperm is collected and inserted directly into your uterus when you're ovulating. This has a roughly 10 to 20% success rate in women under 35. The other common one is in vitro fertilization, IVF, where eggs are taken from your ovaries and fertilized by sperm in a lab where they develop into embryos. Then a doctor puts the embryos in your uterus. This has a roughly 40% success rate in young women, but can take multiple cycles. The cost for treatment depends on the method and can range anywhere from $20 a month for medication to $3,000 a month for hormone treatment injectables. IVF could be $14,000 or more, and if you end up going with a donor, an egg costs you up to $25,000. Oh my god. Oh, please wait. Okay, so, like, wait until you hear this is what I mean. Okay. So from pathfertility.com, they shared some case studies as far as the awesomeness that is healthcare in our country. Note the sarcasm. I'm going to sum these up because they're a bit longer. This is scenario number one. A 36-year-old woman in Connecticut tries IUI three times before giving up and moving on to IVF. She is one of the 38% in her age group who achieved pregnancy on the first cycle. Because Connecticut law requires that requires that insurance covers up to three cycles of IUI and up to two cycles of IVF, she might not have to pay anything out of pocket or at all, or perhaps only her regular office visit co-pays. That's scenario number one, because Connecticut has the law that requires insurance to cover those specific scenarios. Case study number two, a 29-year-old woman in Iowa with a history of PCOS who requires six IVF cycles before achieving pregnancy Iowa doesn't require insurance to cover any infertility treatment, so they don't. She doesn't have to undergo any testing because she has a previous diagnosis of PCOS and has reason to believe that's what's causing it. However, her six cycles of IVF with her medication 
cost her $11,200 per cycle for a total of $67,000. <gasps> she also pays an additional $3,000 for PGD because her partner is a known carrier for a genetic disorder. It's a disorder that they test for. Her total cost is approximately $70,000. Oh my god. Real stuff. Yeah. The final example is a supposedly healthy 38-year-old woman in California whose spouse is facing unexplained male infertility. The couple tries IUI. California has laws requiring insurance covering of infertility treatments other than IVF. The couple tries two rounds of IUI, which is covered by insurance, and then decides to try IVF. Insurance does not cover IVF, and each cycle costs them $14,000. The couple tries three IVF cycles, and none are successful. They decide to stop trying. Their total costs are $42,000. How terrible. Yeah. Holly, do you mind sharing with us your experience? Even if it's not exact dollar amounts, that's not necessarily what I'm asking, but what does that feel like? I'm also interested in what route you went with if you don't mind me asking as far as treatment. Yeah. So we um, actually had to go through IVF when they diagnosed both my husband and I, they said our success rate with IUI was going to be almost nothing. So we were just told it doesn't even pay for you to try IUI. You will have a far better chance going through IVF. At the time we tried IVF, the doctor that we chose to go with was fairly well-known in his field, and he was fairly well-known for, I don't know how else to say this, but like learning from his mistakes. So mm -hmm. he had a, a large group of clientele and, you know, had a, a fairly high success rate. I think he was in the high 40s, which was really, really high. Um, yeah. Let's see, we did our IVF, uh, what year is it, 2020? Oh, it's 2021. So 12 years ago, we did our first one. Um, and, you know, as you kind of went through all those stats, Allie, insurance in our state didn't have to cover it. So yep. the route that we chose to go was I cashed in a 401k to pay for ours because when we went in for the initial consultation, they told us we needed to lay down at minimum $10,000 to even get started. And that was egg retrieval and medications and everything like that. So we actually were on the positive end and we ended up with five successful eggs from my egg retrieval. And we did one cycle of IVF and implanted two embryos and neither one took. So that was absolutely heartbreaking. And it took me almost four years to want to try again. So my kids were actually frozen for nearly four years before we tried again. And in between that time period, this particular clinic, because of the success rates that they were able to match, actually went to something that I really respect. They went to a, a philosophy of they let their clients try as many times as they wanted for one flat amount. So thank God that's how yeah. it should be. I mean, real, we shouldn't, you shouldn't have to pay for it period in my opinion, but that needs to be a model like across the board. Agreed. But I mean, let's be real. That flat amount is $25,000. 
and we didn't qualify on our first one to be a flat amount. So we ended up paying twice. So mm-hmm. I think our final price oh. tag was around $35,000. And, you know, I recently had a friend, a couple who is exploring this option and um, they happen to be a same sex couple. So they don't really have a lot of other options. And they, they just said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I will tell you this. It's something I will never in my lifetime regret. It's, it's not about money. It's about, you know, is this truly what I think will make me happy in life? And my kids make me extraordinarily happy. And if you can find a way to do it, find a way to do it. I mean, people get really creative with it. They fundraise, they have, um, you know, a multitude of different ways you can raise the funds, but it is expensive. There's no getting around it. The medications are expensive. The time is expensive. The doctors are expensive and the, the best doctors of course are the most expensive. So. Mm -hmm. I also can't imagine the additional stress of this experience and how that plus the financials plus everything else that's happening can only just make that experience that much more difficult in result, but also in experience. Is that a super off base assumption or can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, in our case, you know, not only did you have that financial strain up front, but then God forbid you do get pregnant. Uh, You know, a lot of people are in the case of you had a hard time getting pregnant in the first place then can you carry the baby to term? And, you know, let's, let's just pray, pray, pray that you have a healthy baby because if you had that hard of a time getting pregnant, then chances are maybe you, your baby needs a NICU stay or, you know, who knows, who knows what's going to happen. You know, before Celeste, you were talking about how awesome the human body is. Just think about all the things that have to happen when a woman is pregnant and all the things that happen as that fetus continues to grow and continues to develop. I used to think all the time about all the things that could potentially go wrong with the three little humans that were inside of me and how great it was that they had 10 fingers. Or, you know, I remember one day my my doctor said, your babies don't have Down syndrome. And I went, oh my God, was that a possibility? I just totally had blocked that out, you know? But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it can be overwhelming to think about the cost upfront, but then add in the fact that you have triplets later and that's three times the amount of diapers and three times the amount of formula and three times the amount of daycare. And Oh, by the way, did we think about that? Maybe one of us can't work because one of us has to stay home with these three little bundles of joy because infertility and IVF and all these things increase the likelihood of multiples. So Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to recognize that you ended up with triplets, which I can barely handle my one. Same. So big kudos to you for going through that and then coming out the other side with three amazing children and still maintaining your sanity. (laughs) And the fact that they're three completely different human beings, like... Dear listeners, everyone needs to know this. Holly has like one of each type of kid. She has the evil genius. She has the handsome jock and she's got the girly girl. So really like there's no synchronicity amongst these children because they are all completely their own people. 
They're pretty amazing. When we found out we were pregnant, it was an amazing time just, you know, to be pregnant. But I can remember our fertility doctor, me still in stirrups, just finding out we're pregnant. Because when you find out you're pregnant that early, you know, it's really early. And he was out in the hallway, like saying to people, they went three for three on a frozen transfer. This never happens. He was like calling interns into the room. And I'm like, I'm in stirrups here. Can we? <laughs> but um, it was, it was pretty amazing. And it's just amazing. We were able to, you know, keep three babies to term and it's amazing. They're, they're still the great little minds they are today. And we're blessed. Yeah, your bodies may have had some issues getting there, but kudos to your body for carrying three. Holy shit. <laughs> real. Real. So my next portion is statistics. This is from reproductivefacts.org and resolve.org. One in eight couples have trouble getting pregnant or sustaining a pregnancy. I want to say that again because that's a significant number, and I think a lot of people don't realize this. One in eight. Eight couples have trouble getting pregnant or sustaining a pregnancy. I'm terrible at math. Somebody else can figure out that percentage for us. But also think about how many couple friends you have in your life, right? Like, and I'm not just saying only couples experience this, but just, just go there with me for one second. Think about all the friends you have in your life that are couples. I guarantee you, you have at least eight. So really seriously, of your group of friends... At least someone is affected by this. There's a really good chance of that. Secondary infertility is the inability to become pregnant or carry a pregnancy to term after already having had a baby, and it's quite common, accounting for approximately 50% of infertility cases. I have never heard of this. So as I said, this was us. My husband and his first wife had zero problems getting pregnant with you know, my stepdaughter, they were pregnant within two weeks of being married. And so when we started to examine what was really going on here, it just never occurred to my husband that he would be part of the problem. He was pretty floored. And in fact, a lot of his family members, when we were honest about it, it kind of came out that they, the whole time they thought, well, this was Holly's problem. And how is that possible? Because you you have a child already. And, you know, I think we often forget the timing that is needed to create children and just how much of a miracle that is, the short window that is actually there. You know, it truly affects a lot more people than you'd, you'd probably think. And a lot of couples, I bet if you, if it were an open conversation and something that wasn't so taboos to talk about, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would share. A lot of people have shared with me, man, we really struggled to have our second baby. It it took us a while, you know, to, to get pregnant. And I think, Allie, your first statistics said something like um, it, within six months, if you're within this age and within a year mm -hmm. past 36, I think it was. I mean, think about that for a minute. Think about how many couples have age gaps in their children, and maybe it's not intentional. You know? Yeah. I also just want to call out just because the the age is standing out, the age is really standing out to me. Right, wrong, or indifferent, a woman's biological clock is just really inconvenient for 
which sounds really, really bad, but really 36 is still so young in life, Mm -hmm. right? So truly for your body's clock to not align with the clock of, I have my whole life ahead of me. That can just be really frustrating, I think, on its own sometimes. And that also just adds so much more pressure to people to have children, I think, on a more constricted time frame. I I just really recognize that that would be an added pressure that would be so difficult to deal with and work with and, and honestly, like, recognize every year on your birthday, that calendar kind of ticking down, that would just really be hard. You know, I think it's funny, Celeste, earlier you said something about, or maybe it was Allie, one of you said something about adoption and how sometimes when people start to pursue that, then suddenly they get pregnant like that. And I remember a doctor telling me that, why don't you pursue adoption? Because then I found in X amount of couples, you'll get pregnant like that. It just happens. And part of it, what they're trying to say to you is it's a mindset. And I, I kind of do subscribe to that a bit because the first time we went through IVF, I could have told you the minute we left the doctor's office that it hadn't taken, could have told you immediately, didn't work, didn't work. And the second time we went through it, I also could have told you immediately it worked. It absolutely worked. And it had nothing to do with anything other than my mind was just at peace. I knew this was, we had no more money, to be frank. We had no more money, so we weren't going to go through another cycle. I wasn't going to go through another egg retrieval. We weren't going to do any of that. I knew it was my last shot. And so here's, I just pretty much said to myself, I know this is it. I'm going to free my mind. And in the back of my head, when I read that little thing to you before, I kept hearing, this isn't breaking you, it's building you. It's building you for something. And then the other thing I could clearly hear in my head was, you're going to be G-Man's mom one day. Clearly hear it in my head. So I do think sometimes it is a mindset. And that's why you'll hear some people say, well, we started the adoption process and we got pregnant like that. It's because you're, you're free. You're not thinking about it. And whether you subscribe to that line of thinking or not, there are a lot of people who will tell you that is exactly how it happened for them. They stopped trying to get pregnant and they got pregnant. I wonder if part of that is because you stop literally thinking, thinking and like obsessing is the wrong word because this is 100% something that is fully worth obsessing over. But like focusing on, so you don't notice it as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely it, Allie. I think at at a point you just, you know, whatever you subscribe to, let's say if you're a Christian and you say, I'm giving it up to God, and that's what you subscribe to. If you, you know, are into Mother Earth and you just say, I'm going to let the Earth do it and I'm going to eat right and I'm going to take better care of my body, whatever that means. But I think being in tune with your body and being in tune with your mind and your soul and your heart and saying, I'm I'm just going to let this be, says a lot about us as women and how we control our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies are, it's important. And, um, you know, you, you can't fudge science. Don't get me wrong there, but things happen every day that are beyond science, beyond a higher power. And I do think that being relaxed and 
letting it go sometimes works. And I don't know why, but for a lot of people, it does. I think that's a really important call out. And I, I really recognize that earlier I had been talking about stress. And I think that that's also, again, just part of this factor. And that when what we're talking about is stress is not good for people in general, right? Like even not trying to get pregnant, just living your life stress is not good for people in high amounts. I can't imagine the stress that's involved with wanting this so badly and this being the most meaningful thing to you and the money and the the heartbreak and all of the things that just carry such a heavy emotional baggage to them and that being rolled up in that stress that just I recognize has to be an additional factor that's really difficult but also could be affecting this to that level so I really appreciate you saying to at some point give it up to whatever it is that you believe in and try and let go of some of that stress because that can help you achieve your goals. I definitely align with all of that. Back to statistics. Infertility is often seen as a female problem. However, it is a 50-50 split. In 35% of cases, it is a female problem, 35% a male problem, 20% both combined, and 10% unexplained. Do you have any examples of unexplained by chance? No, because they're unexplained. Oh, thank you. You're so helpful and informative. I want to believe. Per the National Survey of Family Growth and CDC data from 2006 to 2010, it impacts 6.7 million women in the U.S., approximately 11% of the reproductive age group. That's insanity. 11.9% of women have ever received any infertility services in their lifetime, according to 2006 to 2010 data from National Survey of Family Growth from the CDC. 25% of inverted couples have multiple factors that contribute to their infertility. 25% of infertility issues for females is caused by irregular or abnormal ovulation. 85-90% to 90 of infertility cases are treated with conventional methods such as a medication or surgery. In vitro accounts for less than 3% of infertility services, which is really shocking to me, honestly, because... In vitro was the only one I knew of, so... Agreed. Same. IUI happens so frequently, you don't even really need specialists for it anymore. But, like, I've never heard that spoken about, so... Like, I hear infertility and I immediately think, grab the egg, grab the sperm, create an embryo, throw it back in. In a much better manner. Yeah, I immediately go to IVF as well. I said it better than Allie, but yes, I go the same place. 12% of female cases is due to the woman weighing too little or too much and may be reversed if the proper weight is achieved. By may be reversed, I mean might be reversed. There's a possibility there. Smoking has been noted as a contributing factor up to 13% for female infertility, and chlamydia can cause infertility if untreated. Is that the only STD that can do that, though? It's the only one that was noted. Interesting. Okay, thank you for sharing that. There could definitely be more that wasn't in this this particular article. 
I have heard of STDs that can cause infertility before, but I honestly couldn't remember which STDs those were and if there were multiple. So I just jumped to the question, but I don't have a better answer. So like I said, thank you for sharing that because I really didn't know that it was chlamydia. I just knew that there was a STD that was out there that could affect fertility. Here's a point that really pissed me off and that we kind of covered a little bit before, but... If it pissed you off, we should talk about it again. Someday we'll do a healthcare episode. Only 19 states have an insurance mandate to offer or cover some level of infertility treatment. 19 states. 12 of those states required qualified employers to cover in their offered plans. Wisconsin wasn't one of them. Surprise. I was furious. So stupid. I don't think we have anything good to offer. I really, I really don't. So I'm not surprised. What I find interesting is it's not necessarily the services, it's the medications that are supremely expensive. So like with IVF, when you go in to do an egg retrieval, you have to shoot yourself in the hind end um, every day and like twice a day towards the end. Um, You know, if you do... Uh, ovulate, you, you shoot yourself again. And number one, I found it really interesting. They send you all those medications in a box, like in dry ice to your door and just say, go do this. <laughs> like you have zero medical training. Why don't you go do it? No yeah. medical training. Why don't you go do it? And, and don't get me wrong. We had a good doctor. I assume they all will show you, but uh, my husband, just so you know, is not a medical professional. And he was the one who wanted to give me the shots. My sister, a nurse, is who I chose. But, you know, I think about (laughs) the other people who, all right, well, now I got a cardboard box of $10,000 worth of medication. Number one, let's hope I don't mix this shit up. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. I've never drawn up medication before. What if I don't do it right? Or, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And a lot of the plans won't cover the medication. They'll cover or they'll cover the medication, but they won't cover your consultations. And you have to go into the office, say, three times a week, you know, for three months. Well, that's a lot of peanuts. So, yeah. On the medication thing, how user friendly is it, though? Like, do you feel like they did a good job of explaining it and that it was like very instruction based or was that just like more cause for stress? Stress. Totally. I mean, I will say the first time it was total stress because they would only send you enough for a certain amount of time. And then, I mean, we work in transportation ladies. If it didn't show up on the day and time it was supposed to show up, you were like, Oh, now what do I do? Because if you don't have your shot at this day and time, you might not ovulate, you might not release your egg, you might not, you might not, you might not. So I can tell you one time my medication didn't show up. I had to drive up to the hospital an hour away and wait for a nurse who was on call at 1030 at night. Because I mean, it was, it was a fertility clinic. It wasn't open. It was open nine to five. Mm -hmm. Right. They had a nurse on call. She came in. They happened to have that exact shot there. But she's like, you're supremely lucky. I don't know why your shot didn't get there on time. I'm like, because the U.S. Postal Service sucks. I don't know what to say. (laughs) But it's not here. And I need my shot. 
real. Aside from just making sure everything is there on time, too, you talk about the administration of it. And if House has taught me mm. anything, like air bubbles and syringes causes immediate death. So, Jesus. I'm dying. I know that about myself. Let me also just say, there's a nerve that runs down your tush. And when you are shot in the tush and the needle goes into that nerve, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, I can imagine. So, Jesus. It like paralyzes you. That's how bad it hurts. So I really recognize I'm either dying or paralyzing myself if I'm administering these shots to myself. I recognize that. So I shouldn't be trusted with this job ever. The one and only time my husband gave it to me, he hit that nerve. And my sister's like, he, my God, (laughs) he had your whole backside and he hit the nerve. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just now imagining like a horse back kick to whoever hits It hurt so bad. I couldn't even back kick. (laughs) Hurt so bad. Here's another mental picture for you. You have to give these at the same day and time. All the time, right? You can't put your life on hold. So sometimes you go to a Peter Cetera concert and you have to drop trowel in the parking lot and give yourself a shot in the parking lot. Oh my God. (laughs) That is amazing. For my kids. Real. The next portion I have is social repercussions or social repercussions isn't what I meant for this, but like the way society approaches infertility a lot of the times. And I also labeled this area, fuck this shit. So So that says a lot about what we're about to get into. So the first one, Holly, you touched on before, and I really appreciate your perspective on it because this one really pissed me off and you gave me a different perspective on it. So people saying, It's all in your head. If you just relax and stop thinking about it, you will get pregnant. So I do think it's fucked up to tell people that the reason they're not getting pregnant is because it's all in their head. Nobody should ever say that to somebody else or they deserve a swift kick to to whatever genitalia they happen to have. But I really appreciate your perspective that stress and relaxing and kind of just letting it go is something that is helpful in some instances so it's not necessarily an invalid point of view but in my opinion nobody should be seeing that to you directly no i think what i'm seeing is it works for me Mm -hmm. it might not work for somebody else it's my story and i will say it did work for me and i recognize that i may have been part of the mental block and part of the problem there and i I do feel that I'm in control of my body and, you know, it could be totally different for someone else. I would never go say to someone, your problem is this. God, I would hope you never say that to me. Yeah, exactly. But I do recognize that for me personally, I was part of the problem. I know I was part of the problem. We had medical issues, but obviously my story ended in a happy ending for me. And I recognize that I was part of the problem. And I definitely appreciate that perspective. I would still I would still throw a punch anybody that walked up to anybody struggling with infertility problems and said it's all in your head. And I also I, I really I appreciate what you're saying, but it hurts my feelings at the same time. I just the fact that you're saying like you were part of the problem. 
I know what you mean, and I'm not invalidating your feelings or your experience, but that hurts my feelings because you weren't doing anything to cause a problem. Like, it wasn't something that you were intentionally choosing, or it's just, I look at it a little bit different. So, you saying that, I really appreciate, but at the same time, it hurts my feelings because you weren't, a, you're not a problem. Like, it's not a problem it's it is but it isn't i don't know i don't know how to correctly convey what i'm saying because i understand what you're saying and i also just recognize like like i said before it's not anybody's fault like nobody chooses this yeah i think being on the other side of it now i can look at that and recognize it and say it and i think part of what you're struggling with it is because you're my friend and you don't want me to say bad things about myself but yes. in how in the grand scheme of all of this it's really not saying something bad about me. I don't, I don't feel like that. It was, if I could do one thing to make this better, if having a positive attitude about it was going to make it better, then that seems like a little concession to make. And time and time again, my husband said to me, can you just try to be positive? Can you just try to be positive? And I would look at him and go, why? It's going to fail. I know it's going to fail. And he kept saying to me, well, if you think it's going to fail, it's probably going to fail. And whether you want to call it a sports metaphor or anything, if you look at life in that way, you've probably already lost. I don't know how else to say it. The minute that I started going into it with, man, this might work. And what if it does work? And the minute I started to say, well, I'm going to be G-Man's mom and here's why, because I deserve this. And you know, it, it worked for me. It changed my whole perspective. It made me more open. I don't know. It just, it worked for me. And we're so glad because I love the trips. They're my favorite little humans besides Tiny and Moose. The next thing that society has fun saying is just have more sex. That'll fix things. Yeah. That'll fix it. Yeah. That's not always yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, Holly's like, we were rabbits. It's not very often that a, a guy says, I can't, I can't anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I think we were both at the point where you never want to be in a marriage or in a relationship where it's just not enjoyable anymore, where it's a job. And we were both at that point, you know, we were at the well, we got to write it down. God forbid we didn't write it down, you know, or it didn't happen or, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's not what either of us wanted. We were okay with, um, you know, the things that we had to do to get to the point to see the doctors that we had to get to, but no, that, and anybody who makes that kind of comment doesn't understand it at all. Um, you know, so I kind of just miss that. That's like when someone sees you in a store and sees that you have triplets and they go, wow, birth control much. I mean, same thing, but in reverse, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't know, you don't know the struggles for that and you don't know the other side. So have you ever had somebody say that to you though? Oh, totally. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Really? <laughs> yeah. With my three person stroller birth control much. I will punch all those people in the mouth idiot that's not okay i'm sorry i'm sorry i just people are 
anyway, carry on, please, please, please. Save no, me I from agree. One hundred percent. My other favorite one is they're not real. Uh, can I just say, like, if there's any multiple moms listening, my other favorite one is they're not real. And what that means is because they were IVF babies and they are multiples, they're not real multiples. I am so angry right now. I cannot even. What? So What? That's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard ever in my life. It's like when you have a cesarean and people say you're not a real mom because you've had a cesarean. Oh my God. If our podcast has taught me anything, it's that I want to throw a punch to so many fucking people. I don't even have words to describe my lack of words and this furrowed brow that I have right now. I can't tell you how many times when they were little that people asked me that. Are they real? Well, yeah. Do you want to touch them? They're real. What are you talking that's what I'm literally like. I've held these children. I have held hands with these children. I love these children. How could anybody fucking look at them and say, are they real? Like, how fucking dense are you that you're literally looking at a mother and her children, her precious, beautiful children? That, to your point, Holly, you have no idea how I got these kids. You don't know what I've been through. And whether that was in infertility or in labor or even just in being a parent, like, parents who judge other parents... That's a special kind of fucking low. There's a special place for parents who judge other parents. And I assure you, they don't have good cocktails. I did not expect that end. I will throw that as a comeback next time it happens. (laughs) Thank you. So the next common comment I found was, you don't need a baby of your genes. You can adopt. So fucking disrespectful and heartless and fucking ignorant. And I'm sure that people don't intentionally mean to sound like assholes assholes when they say that shit. But fuck, you sound like an asshole when you say that shit. I totally agree. Adoption isn't for everybody. I was very adamant that if our journey had not ended in uh, biological children, we actually were not going to pursue adoption. I was adamant about it from the very start. I think it's a personal choice. I applaud and have deep love for those who are able to open their home. And um, my personal experience with adoption has not been great. So I, I just couldn't do it. I absolutely couldn't do it. Like I said, applaud, love all the people who can. I, there are so many kids who need good homes. I have so many friends and family who are foster families. Um, I think that's great. I would love to be able to do that. It was not for me. It was not for my husband. We recognized that about ourselves and frankly said it. So um, had our journey not ended with children, we would not have pursued adoption. And I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think it just makes you know who you are. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually really appreciate you saying that, not only for the realness of you saying it, because obviously that's a really big deal. So thank you. But also... I really recognize that that's a big deal in that you knew what lengths you were willing to go to for children, which were extraordinary lengths, right? We're not questioning that. But I think that some people get very focused on the idea of, I just want a baby. Mm -hmm. And then they move forward with decisions about ways to have a child outside of 
a medical way. And then they regret that. And I'm not saying this is everybody and I'm not downing anybody who has chosen adoption or fostering or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But I personally do know people who wanted children so badly and they adopted and they weren't happy with it. Okay, well, now you have this human. Now you have a human who needs you and who's relying on you. Sucks that you're not happy with it. Like, really, I just recognize the validity of what you're saying of really sit with that decision for yourself and know yourself and your partner well enough to really assess, is this the right move for us? Applause to everybody who ever does it. Seriously, up and down. But it is not for everyone. So I think that it's really important you made that call out of really genuinely having that conversation before making any decisions like that. Because adoption's an expensive thing on its own, too. Absolutely. And I think it came a lot from, I have a stepdaughter. I was already raising someone else's biological child. I don't know how else to say it other than I absolutely knew it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue. My husband was in lockstep with me. And, you know, God bless, I give money to a bunch of different charities that are all about adoption. I'm I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I wish every child could have a home. We just knew it was not what we wanted to pursue. I completely understand because when Nick and I started trying to get pregnant, I wanted his and my baby. Maybe that's selfish, but that's who we are. Well, that's who I am as people. I can't speak for him. So, But that's who I am as a person. I wanted his child. So I completely understand and respect that side of it. So the last comment I had was, it will happen when you least expect it, which you're on the treatments. You're expecting it. When the fuck are you supposed to not expect it? I don't understand. I'm actively working toward this. What do you mean I'm not expecting it? So I'm curious though, Allie, if in any, once again, back to your statistics, because remember my information is probably about 10 years old now. Yeah. But I do recall a lot of, when you're going through IVF, they actually caution you at a point and they say, you must abstain from sexual activity because you're so fertile at the point when they're going to put Mm -hmm. the eggs in you that a lot of people actually get pregnant at that point because you've had all these procedures to get to the point of IVF. So you have this, horrible procedure called a histocelpingogram where they take basically this vacuum cleaner on reverse and they take dye and they blow out your ovaries to make sure there's no gunk in them and it hurts my face is pure terror right yeah. now um so histocelpingograms i mean they'll scrape your uterus they'll do all these lovely lovely things <laughs> and basically like when you're laying on the table having these fun things If a doctor or a nurse doesn't say to you, you know, most of the time after we do this, they don't even have to go to IVF because whatever was blocking this from happening, if the female is the problem, it unblocks and then suddenly you get pregnant. So I'm curious if any, in any of your statistics, that stuff came up because they tell you all of that when you're going through IVF that like, okay, seriously, do not try to get pregnant right now. Do not sleep with your spouse because the chances of you actually getting pregnant 
on your own are really, really high right now. But the chances of you actually carrying that child to term are really low. So it does happen. And they tell you that at different points through because they're pumping you full of drugs, all these hormones. They're trying to get your body ready to be pregnant. They're tricking your body into thinking you are pregnant sometimes. So, yeah, that's crazy. That didn't come up in my statistics. So I definitely appreciate that input. And also it is crazy to think about the fact that they can chemically induce your body into thinking it's pregnant, which when I sit here and I think about the stress of this entire situation, we also really need to recognize the stress of what your body's experiencing, period. Like just that on its own level. Pregnancy by itself is an incredibly demanding thing for your body. I literally can't imagine my body thinking it's pregnant or acting like it's pregnant or me trying to convince my body it's pregnant for any time longer than the nine months that I have to serve to cook this baby. Like, seriously, that by itself would also just be another level of very fucking difficult. Yeah, I mean, most of the medications they put you on make your body think you're going through menopause. So, you know, it's just a weird time. And you're, I feel like your hormones never kind of go back. Uh, You know, the other thing that I think a lot of people probably struggle with after is your body is just never the same after all those drugs. I mean, you both know that I suffer from horrible migraines which I never had before I did all of this. I think a lot of it has to do with all of the drugs that I was on. My body already thinks it went through menopause twice because we went through two IVF cycles. So my body's like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> and now that mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm in my forties, it's, it's hard. It's just, it, it, I feel like my body doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know? So, but human body's resilient and it's all worth it. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's stressful from all angles. I think it's really okay though, that you call out that your body is fucked after this. Like, I don't hear you saying that it's not worth it. I don't hear that at all. I really appreciate hearing that your body is fucked after this, right? Because again, that's a very normal symptom of pregnancy. Like, Tiny killed my thyroid. Like, I killed my mom's thyroid. Apparently, we're thyroid killers. That must be a genetic thing. But really, I recognize that no woman's body, like, immediately snaps back in in all kinds of ways, right? We lose our hair. We gain all kinds of weight or we lose all kinds of weight. Like, just in a very typical scenario. But I go back to thinking about really, like... It's okay that you are recognizing that your body didn't come out on the other side just because your your struggle to get pregnant was that much more difficult does not invalidate your feelings now that you've had children. Like you're allowed to be disappointed in the way that your body came out of having kids. I think I think everybody is. I think it's important to recognize that there were lasting side effects too, because once again, that's not something that I've heard spoken about with infertility. So thank you for that call out. Agreed entirely. And there are so many heavy medications. It's obvious 
now that you say the words, it's obvious in my head, yes, of course there would be symptoms. Of course there would be side effects of that. Of course that medication is going to literally probably change your chemical makeup forever. That's definitely not what anybody talks about. So yes, I do really also appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. So I have one small section left before question time. And I labeled this how it can feel because I read a lot of message boards as to how specifically women, these were primarily women on these message boards, how infertility feels to them and how it manifests in their mind. So it leads to feelings of being unfulfilled, like you're less of a woman or a man, like your body betrayed you, like you're a failure to your spouse, and like you can't live up to the societal expectation of children. One thing within here to note is that men are far less likely to talk about their infertility because it's so linked to, I'm going to air quotes, manliness. Masculinity. Yeah, manliness and masculinity. So I thought that was an important call out. But that's all I had. I don't know, Holly, if you want to share what the emotional, well, really, you gave us the emotional journey earlier. That was really the best thing I've heard in all of this. So I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that. I think it's different for everybody, you know, and I'm not going to say it matters about the ending either, because sometimes when I think back to that time, and I can be very blunt, there were many moments in that first cycle where I didn't think I was going to make it. Like there, there were definitely times where my mom slept at my house because she was Mm -hmm fairly certain that I was not going to wake up the next morning. It definitely triggers these thoughts inside your head of you're not good enough. And if you have any other underlying issues there, it just exacerbates it. So I was lucky enough to have a very supportive partner who never once said to me, this is your fault, who never gave me the sense of this is too much money, or we're not going to come out on the other side of this. We, we truly had a plan, no matter what was going to happen here. I mean, when we would talk about our future, it was with and without children, which was super helpful for me, because I always wanted to be a mom. And my mom often says to me, I think about how incomplete your life would be without those three kids. And it's not that I probably wouldn't have done some great things or because when I look back on my life, I think about if I didn't come back um, to the States and if I hadn't have done some of the things I'd done and made some of the decisions that I had made, my life would be vastly, vastly different. I probably never would have gotten back into business. I probably would have stayed in theater I probably would have stayed acting and I probably would have been pretty happy to be honest, but I definitely wouldn't have felt the feeling of elation and fulfillment I feel with my kids and my family. It was a different path and um, it was definitely the right path as I see my kids picture on my other screen flashing up, you know, it's perfect timing, but 
yeah, I think those feelings can definitely overtake you and they make you feel small, very, very small. So the important part for me was just recognizing that there was another side, even if the outcome wasn't positive in the sense of children coming out of it. I also really appreciate in you sharing that specifically that I don't know if you had said something that made my brain go here or if my brain just went here, but I also really, really appreciate the experience that you went through of infertility regardless of the fact that you, Holly, had the outcome of children, right? Like you talk about the differences of my life with or without, but even if the story had ended in a non-successful and a non-trip-filled life, it does not invalidate the journey and the struggle that you went through in trying to get pregnant. And I really want our listeners to hear that as well. Even if your story doesn't end with a happy ending of a successful and healthy full-term pregnancy, that does not invalidate the experiences that you had leading up to that point. And I think that that's really important also. A lot of people talk about infertility, but they, they really like the cases that end in a happy story, right? Obviously, because we should celebrate life. I'm not judging or challenging that. But it does not invalidate the experiences of those who do not end their story in that way. Yeah, your story is valid no matter the ending. No one can take that from you. Exactly. So that was all I had for my, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Informational? Research. Yeah, research. Thank you. My research part. Uh, the next portion I had was just a few questions for you, Holly, which... You answered some of them already, so I only have two left. So what was the support or knowledge of your peers at the time as far as what you were going through? And the reason I ask this is because infertility really isn't talked about as far as the nitty gritty or what it involves or the statistics, like the fact that Celeste found out today and I found out in my research that secondary infertility is a thing and that it's equal for men and women. One, did you have a solid support group? And two... Did you feel frustrated by the lack of knowledge around it? If there was a lack of knowledge? Uh, so there was definitely a lack of knowledge in my case. I'm one of 37 cousins. The joke in my family is you practically look at it and you get pregnant. So the stigma for me was, what the heck's wrong with Holly? You know, it just was almost inconceivable to my family, nobody could figure it out. I would say the only one who really was my support system was my sister, who I said before is a nurse. She actually was a neonatal intensive care nurse for a very long time. So she had a lot of thoughts around who I should be seeing for specialists. The turning point for me was really a really good doctor who was a part of the Catholic hospital system, because that's what my insurance took at the time, actually said to me, you need to get out of this system because we're not going to do anything for you, but pray. <laughs> and that's not going to help you. You need science. So the turning point for me was a wonderful doctor who 
basically went against her practice <laughs> to say to me, go see somebody else who can actually help you. Yeah. And I, that's such a big deal. Yeah. I still, to this day, give her a lot of credit because I think it, it took a lot of chutzpah to actually say that to me and to kick me out of her office and say, don't come back here again. We're going to keep helping in air quotes you, but we're not going to do anything for you. You need to go somewhere else. And I think my biggest support system has always been my sister. I, I'm one of two. It's just my sister and I. So she constantly was there with my questions or anything medical that came up, um, you know, that seemed out of place. And it was never something I couldn't talk to her about. Yeah. I'm so glad that you had somebody that you could turn to. Agreed. Yeah, I think of that many years ago, it, it just wasn't something, and it's still, it feels like something you don't really talk about. So I can tell you both, there's people within our organization who have come to me and asked some questions because they know that I'm open about it and they know that this was my story and my journey, but they, they don't want to be as open about it. You know, they there's still a stigma attached there, I think, and I have just never felt that. I I don't I've never felt ashamed by it and I I continue not to, but I can understand why people would want to protect their privacy. It is medical and and plus it is really really emotional. You know, when you really get into some of those things and if it does work, if it doesn't work, that that's really really emotional. So, I can understand it. I also recognize that people just want to be happy for you, right? And they want that with good intention, but also that doesn't always come through in execution very well. So I recognize that there's also that level of privacy that's necessary for some people because I can't imagine having to have the conversation of heartbreak and letdown with my coworkers for the third time in a row that would just be too much. That would be so hard. I can't imagine that. That actually ties into my next question, which is, how do you cope? So there were articles on finding a counselor or an infertility support group, but is there anything else that you would suggest to people possibly listening that are struggling with infertility? Yeah, I can tell you 100% counseling did not work for me. My husband made me see about three different people because as I said, I had really low lows and both my husband and my mom were really worried about me for a while and they forced me to go and see somebody for a while. Um, But I was very closed off and didn't want to talk to that person. So I think you need to find the medium that works for you, whether that is a trusted friend, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your sister, There are a ton, I know, of support groups these days of people who are in similar situations, you know, online forums. If you're not into talking, talking, maybe you can type. Maybe it doesn't even have to be about that. You can be anybody you want to online, right? So maybe you can, if you don't want to be you for a minute, make up somebody else to be and, hey, this is happening to my friend. How should she deal with it? Because... Whatever it is, I think the important thing is to get it out. And that was my biggest mistake and why I go back to, I never thought it was going to work. 
And that's why my husband was saying, you need to talk to somebody about this. You need to get it out. And I was bottling it all up. And the minute I stopped doing that, I just felt free. So for me, like I said, it was my sister. She was just somebody I could be really, really vulnerable with and cry or scream or just be happy. But I do think that there are so many ups and downs within this. The nurses in your fertility journey will probably become your best friends. Remember, they've seen probably a little bit of everything. And there's no question you could probably ever ask them that they haven't heard before or haven't answered or wouldn't be comfortable talking to you about. There, in my experience, there was somebody on call 24 hours a day. My doctor gave me his cell phone and said, if you just feel off, call me, you know. So find the right doctor for you that you're able to talk to. And I just think talking helps. And if it doesn't for you, maybe it's a journal. Maybe it's taking a walk. I don't know, but you definitely have to take your feelings and put them somewhere. I really just want to recognize also that you have given him credit a couple times in this episode, but that you have an incredibly supportive husband. Like, I just, I want to just give him a moment of credit also because that's a really big deal. That's a really big factor. And Again, this is a stressful situation for both of you, right? So I'm not even saying that people's husbands who don't react in this way are bad husbands. That's not what I'm saying. But truly, husbands who aren't reacting in this way are not helping the situation. So I really want to give your husband a huge high five and a big kudos moment for really helping you and being supportive of you, even though he was going through his own shit too. That's a really, really big deal. I will thank you for him. You know, I'm sure he'll listen to the episode too, but I don't think I recognized that until a lot later. I was supremely mad at him for a very long time for forcing me to go to counseling and, you know, kind of pushing me in that direction. But he truly was a rock through the very, very dark times. He he was the one who actually took the first call that our IVF had failed the first time. And I remember him saying to me later, much later, I, I won't do that again. I can't do that again. He could barely get the words out to tell me that it wasn't successful. And I mean, we still, as a couple, talk about that as that was probably the lowest point in our relationship because we both just didn't know what to do. We had gone to work that day and that was such a dumb idea. Never go to work on the day you're gonna find out. <laughs> just take the day off. <laughs> but we, we both just needed to be with one another and we were in two different cities. And, but yeah, he, he, he has been incredible through all of this from finding out that he was gonna be a dad to finding out he was gonna be a dad to three little humans and rearranging his life and finding a work from home job so he could be at home with the kids and he's just been amazing and that's such a big deal so I do want to give him a big moment in this episode also especially because he also suffered from part of the infertility concern right so I think that as much as I love you here and love your face and you're our guest I do just want to give him a moment of recognition also because I think he deserves that Agreed with all of that. So my final question for you, Holly, is 
Is there anything that you would like to say to any of our listeners that are possibly struggling with infertility? Like any, I don't know, anything. I just wish everybody the best in your journey. You know, take some time, be intrinsic about it. Think about what you want. Be open to the fact that maybe now's your time. For me, positivity went a long way. And the minute that I started to do that, that that helped for me. I know that won't help for everybody. And I know some people are going to shake their heads and go, oh, another one of these who's just saying, just be positive and it'll happen. That's truly not what I'm saying. I'm saying positivity worked and, and went a long way for me. But I I just, my hope for you is that you come out on the other side feeling fulfilled, whether that is because your journey ended in the way that you feel it's meant to, or because you learned something along the way, or you were able to help somebody else with the journey, whatever that is. I think that's fantastic advice. I really appreciate that advice. Thank you for that. So that is all I had, you guys. We're at the moment of the episode that I would love to ask you both what you learned here today. And as always, guess first. I learned that podcasts are really, really involved. (laughs) Yeah, we do a lot. And this isn't even half of it. This is like the easiest part of what we do. I have like total respect for the two of you. You know, I just never thought about all that goes on behind the scenes. Also, I I think I learned a lot about the history and all of the research. And I, I feel like I learned a lot in, in all the facts that you brought up, Allie. Thank you. Celeste, my darling, what did you learn today? I also really sincerely appreciate your research. And really what I'm taking away from today, other than Holly's experience and story in a format and in a version of which I've never heard before. And I really appreciate that. I learned that today, but I also learned about secondary infertility, which I've never heard of before. That concept would not even register in my brain as infertility. I recognize that I do in fact know people who have experienced secondary infertility and I just would have never known Like, duh, what a fucking idiot I am. But yet, like, I'm not, I'm not even saying that about myself. I just really didn't know that that was a thing. So I learned that today. And that was a really cool thing. That was something that I took away. The other thing that I took away is truly the extensiveness of the experience in whatever that means. And I recognize that there are hundreds of thousands of variations and everybody's experience is so different, but understanding the core of the experience has truly helped me understand I have no concept of what this experience would be like. I mean, I can only imagine, right? I can literally only imagine. So I really appreciate what both of you brought to this episode for that reason as well. And that actually leads me to my one little tiny shout out for this episode. A very dear friend of mine, Brianna, and her husband, They recently got pregnant and they are in their second trimester with a baby boy and I'm so happy for them and I'm so excited for them. So this episode honestly made me recognize the struggles that they've been through as well and just means that much more for me. It makes me that much more excited for them and happy for them that their story has 
this as their ending. Congrats to them. Allie, my love, my dearest darling, beautiful creature, what did you learn here today? So I loved all of the facts and like the history of infertility that came in my research, but honestly, my favorite part of everything was that I don't want to call it a speech because speech sounds uppity, but the speech that you gave, Holly, that you gave to your church and shared with us, that was by far the most impactful moment of this for me. So I am sincerely grateful that you shared that with us. Thank you so much. Agreed. And thank you for coming on the show and talking about this because it means the world to us. We know that it means the world to our listeners and I hope it helps somebody. And I just want everybody to love you as much as I love you. Nice. Well, thanks for inviting me. If you ever have an X-Files episode, I expect to be the expert on the panel. So, dear listeners, if you appreciated today's episode, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on any of our socials. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Taboos the Pod. We are just Taboos on Facebook, and we are TaboosThePod.com on our fancy new website. It's super fucking beautiful. If you haven't gone to see it yet, you are fucking up, so please take care of that post-haste. Also, we have a Patreon. We are an indie podcast, so the only way we keep the lights on is through ourselves and our Patreon. So that's where I'm going to leave that. Go check it out. There's cool things with cool tiers, and we work really hard, so we would love if you could stop by and say hi. Also, we love and appreciate anybody sharing us or rating us on any of our platforms. That is such a big deal also. Please, if you know somebody who has struggled with infertility, please share this episode with them. I really think that just hearing that they are not alone and the representation and honestly, Holly's experience and her beautiful, beautiful words, all of it together, I think is just a very valid experience for people to understand, even if that's not something that you've personally, even if for infertility is not something that you've personally faced. I still think it's super educational and important to understand for people, especially when the statistics are one in eight couples. Like, that's insane. I definitely agree with that. I also have two small things to add to that. We also have an email. It's taboospodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> we will s- someday, someday not fuck up the outro. I promise, dear listeners. I don't even know what episode we're on, but you would think after, I think we're at like <laughs> 30 plus some, we'd have this down. We're like seven months in and we still can't get our fucking outro. We're killing it. Also, shout out to the new network that we joined. That's not Canon Productions. Thank you for taking us on. And they have, I think, hundreds at this point. Maybe not hundreds. I don't know. Zane, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I completely just killed that number. But they have so many podcasts that are worth, that are worth listening to, aside from ours. Definitely check out everybody on their roster. Also, Zane, if you're listening, love you. You're amazing. Please forgive Allie. <laughs> so on that note, dear listeners, as always, do, do you be taboos.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.